Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and each week I invite you to take a journey with me through the world of faith and scripture. We all must puzzle out our own way through life. Our journeys will be filled with many pitfalls and turns. We will arrive at many crossroads, which we must decide which way into the future we should take. And so I ask, what way will you choose? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And again, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Early Christians took these words to heart and called themselves people of the way. Following in the way of Jesus, whether you are a Christian or not, seems like a good idea. Jesus lived an exemplary life by any standard. It was a life of tolerance, forgiveness, and love. On the one hand, he did not require his followers to strictly obey the established religious rules and guidelines of of the Judaism in which he grew up and which he practiced. On the other hand, he did not condone them drifting into immorality and lawlessness. He said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. The way of life that I want to talk about today, then, is described by the Latin phrase via media, or the middle way. The idea of the middle way was proposed by ancient Greek philosophers who urged nothing in excess and everything in moderation. This way of life was foundational to early Roman society. In Christianity, some reformers sought a middle way between the extreme forms of Protestantism and the Roman Catholic Church. In an Eastern religious tradition, the story of the Buddha's life leading up to his enlightenment illustrates the middle way. Most importantly, it illustrates the middle way as a way of life, rather, as it has often become in later Buddhist teachings, just another religious belief and set of laws or prescriptions for behavior. Buddha was born, named Siddhartha Gautama. He was brought up as a prince, living a sheltered life in a palace. His parents protected him from all forms of suffering, in an isolated sphere of pleasure. He had every material object that he wanted. He never experienced or even witnessed hardship. However, as a young man, as young men do, he grew restless, confined to his palace, escaped his chaperones, and went out into the world for a chariot ride. First, Prince Siddhartha encountered an old person who was very feeble and losing his mental and physical faculties. He was shocked. He had never been exposed to frail old people. Going further, he witnessed a woman lying on a mat who was obviously in great pain, suffering from disease and fever. Next, he passed the funeral grounds where corpses were being burned on wooden pyres while their loved ones stood by weeping. 
everywhere was suffering, pain, and anguish. As he passed down the road, he saw a religious man who had given up all of his possessions to spend his life in fasting and meditation. He became greatly distressed with his life. Because of these experiences, Siddhartha determined to find a solution to the suffering he had discovered to be so common in the world. He renounced his worldly goods and retreated to the forest where he sat at the feet of skillful teachers. Having mastered their teachings, but still not having found a solution to the problem of suffering, he sat under a bodhi tree to meditate, vowing not to stop until he found the answer to this problem. Finally, having nearly starved to death and wasting away so that his ribs showed, he achieved enlightenment. He became the Buddha, or the Enlightened One. He got up and abandoned his extreme deprivations. He encountered a woman who offered him rice and milk, which helped him regain his strength and health. Having found fault with both extremes, Buddha began to teach the middle way between harsh asceticism and deprivation on the one hand and sensual indulgence and constant pleasure seeking on the other. That was the way to enlightenment. The Middle Way has a rich and diverse history. It was not a concept developed by philosophers, Christians, Buddhists, or any religious tradition. It's a common-sense way of life that's evolved out of human practical experience. People quickly learn that living in a society without laws and limits quickly degrades and disintegrates the society. That was what eventually led to the downfall of the Roman Empire, which fell into moral decay. Societies in which authoritarian rulers suppress the people eventually face revolution and overthrow. Take, for example, the dictatorships of Muammar Gaddafi of Libya and Salvador Allende of Chile. The pendulum inevitably swings back toward the middle. The middle way is a physical law as well as a political one. The middle way can be applied to many areas of life. Let me start at the macro or societal level. One of the big concerns in America day, today is the increasing polarization among our people. A sorting is taking place among the American populace in which we are associating ourselves more exclusively with like-minded people. Not only are we separating ourselves into distinct camps, but there's also some evidence that our camps are pulling up stakes and moving further and further apart. We are becoming more extreme, more polarized. Fewer of us are walking the middle way. I have a question for you. Which vehicle would you more be more likely to buy? A Prius or a pickup? Now, how you answer that question is highly predictive of your worldview and consequently the people that you're most likely to closely associate with. Sociologists Mark Hetherington and Jonathan Weiler have written a book appropriately titled Prius or Pickup, How the Answers to Four Simple Questions Explain America's Great Divide. Those four questions, which are even more predictive than Prius or Pickup, are 
Which do you value more? Independence versus respect for elders? Obedience versus self-reliance? Curiosity versus good manners? Being considerate versus well-behaved? Now, you'll notice that this is a forced choice between two positives. For example, both independence and respect for elders are qualities that we would want our children to possess. Even so, the majority of respondents will sort out into two groups. Of course, some will give mixed responses. The two groups that are sorted out are those with fixed worldviews and those with fluid worldviews. Those with a fixed worldview would be more likely to describe the world as a place where our lives are threatened by terrorists, criminals, and illegal immigrants, where our priority should be to protect ourselves. As opposed to the fluids, who would say that it's a big, beautiful world, mostly filled with good people, and we must find ways to embrace each other and not allow ourselves to become isolated. Once again, the worldviews expressed by fixed and fluids both have something going for them. We do live in a dangerous world. It would be foolish and naive to ignore the threats that we face. When you wake up in the morning, though, and take a stroll down a bustling city street among diverse people with vendors on every street corner preparing delicious-smelling ethnic foods, the world is a big, beautiful place filled with good people. The point is, it's not right or wrong good or bad, to have a fixed worldview. It's not right or wrong, good or bad, to have a fluid worldview. Nor, for the matter, is it a wishy-washy way to possess a mixture of the two. It's just the way we are wired. It's how we act out of our worldview that's important. The point, then, is not to try to convert yourself from one worldview to another, if in fact you could do that, or try to convince people with an opposing worldview to see things the way that you do, which would be an even less likely task to accomplish. What is more important is to learn to understand and respect the way that others view the world. And we do that by first listening to the other, opening a conversation, and finding the common ground upon which we walk, our common humanity. This is easier than it sounds, and the harder it becomes as we become more polarized. We are becoming more isolated, surrounded only by people who agree with us, who create an echo chamber for our beliefs, founded or unfounded. Instead of seeking common ground with others, we often seek ways to attack and invalidate their beliefs. Our language, instead of conciliatory and rational, becomes sarcastic and logic-defying. On the public or political level, we are sorting ourselves out as right versus left, conservative versus liberal, capitalist versus socialist, Republican versus Democrat. Right, conservative, and capitalist and Republican tend to go together, as do left, liberal, socialist, and Democrat. And to use the term of Prius or pickup, 
fixed or fluid. You can probably fit yourself comfortably on one side or the other. You'll find that many of your closest friends fit with you. But obviously, there are exceptions. To coin a phrase, though, birds of a feather flock together. Nowhere can the polarization in America be seen more clearly than in the U.S. Congress. We're living in an era of extreme and increased partisanship. We can see this in the vote tallies on key legislation. Voting the party line is the norm on almost every vote. Outliers of either party come under attack from their party peers. You know, I used to wonder how 50 men and women from diverse backgrounds could agree on any one issue. Surely, one of them must feel forced to vote against his conscience. That's probably true sometimes, but understanding that they have been sifted and sorted according to the way they view the world and reality makes it a lot more understandable and reasonable. Never the twain shall meet. So let's not be naive, though. In the political universe, there are a lot of factors at play. There's a quest for political power and survival. Representatives face pressure from their voters as well as their party. There are immense economic issues and interests at stake. And never neglect the power of ego and desire to be in the national and global spotlight. Politics can be an impenetrably complicated and toxic mix, which does not often produce the right result when it produces any result at all. The middle path in politics would express itself as bipartisanship. It would require both sides of the aisle to gain some personal insight as to the power of their worldview that it has in influencing their decisions. They would also need to be able to see how the same is true for their political rivals. The greatest challenge would be to break free of the institutional bonds that restrict them from acting as responsible individuals. Sadly, I would say this is unlikely to happen in the near future. Change, if it's going to happen, will need to start from the bottom up. That leads me to what it means for each individual to follow their own middle path. There are several manifestations of the middle path, so I will examine just a couple. The first is materialistic versus spiritualistic. People with a fixed worldview tend to be materialistic. The materialist concerns include accumulation of wealth to provide financial security for themselves and their families and protecting themselves against threats to that security. The spiritualist cares more about finding peace and meaning from within. The materialist may be religious, but will be attracted to stricter, more law-oriented types of religious communities with literal interpretations of scripture. The spiritual will be more open to experimenting with non-traditional religious practices or grace-oriented religious communities. The middle path between the materialist and the spiritualist is the one dominated by love and compassion. It recognizes the importance of the practical necessities of life. We need to work 
to provide for the needs of ourselves and our families, food, clothing, and shelter. We're also responsible for attending to the needs of those outside our families, our communities, and even our nation. When faced with hungry crowds, Jesus did not say, go pray for them. He said, go feed them. The middle path at the same time says that all of our needs are not satisfied by material things. The most obvious expression is, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes through the mouth of the Lord. All of us should be able to agree with these precepts. We can find middle ground with those who see things differently. Let's take a more challenging example. What's the middle way between the capitalist and the socialist? The capitalist believes that progress is made when people work to produce goods and provide services. As the overall economy grows, wealth, the individuals who take part in the production of that wealth benefit. The socialist believes that people in society need help and support from the government and its agencies through laws, regulations, and social welfare programs. The middle way between capitalists and socialists must also be dominated by love and compassion. Equality is a basic principle of the American experiment. We expect the members of our society to contribute. We value the hard work and initiative of our ancestors who have provided us with the standard of living we enjoy. To do so, we must provide people with opportunity. Some outside intervention is necessary to ensure fairness and equitable distribution of wealth and provide for the common health and welfare, hence the need for fair systems of taxation. There's also a need to put supports in place for those who, through no fault of their own, aren't unable to participate in the economy. Once again, we can find middle ground with those who see things differently from us. Those are general examples, but what's the middle way for you? What's the middle way for me? My search for the middle way begins with the question, is the glass half full or half empty? Answer, it's both. My middle way begins by abandoning my tendency to belittle or demean those who think differently, even very differently, from me. That means abiding by the words from 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Hey, talk nice. My middle way means working hard for a living while being willing to share what I have, be that through my personal benevolence or paying fair taxes. And I will vote conscientiously and encourage others to do the same. Only if you and I follow the middle way in our personal, professional, and political lives can we expect those who represent us to do the same. The buck starts here. Finally, my middle way is to love my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and love my neighbor as myself. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Walking in his middle way, I have found peace for my soul, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Now, come to think of it, 
I've never owned a Prius, and I just gave my pickup to my daughter. I wonder what that means. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and help you along whatever path you choose in life. Be safe, stay healthy, and if you haven't already, get vaccinated. <laughs>